Good morning, everybody. Let me take a moment just to look at you and tell you, you guys look fantastic this morning. I mean, think about it. What are you doing? You're starting the very first Sunday of 2015, and here you are sitting in church. Here you are taking time out to express love and worship our great God and King. I'm proud of you, and I want to tell you, God has great plans for you on this Sunday morning and for the whole entire year. So Happy New Year, everybody. I don't know about how your year got off, how your year started, but can I tell you how I started my new year? I have this tradition that every January 1st, my goal is to hike to the top of Mission Peak. In fact, this year I opened it up to the whole church, and as you can see on the screen behind me, 20 brave souls came out to hike to the top of Mission Peak on January 1st. And we started out on Starbucks, we all got our caffeine boost, we headed up the mountain, I don't know if you knew this, but... On New Year's Day, it was pretty cold. And so we started out strong, but we hit a rough patch just before the summit. It kind of looked like this. But, but we hung in there. We didn't quit. And guys, I want you to know, we made it to the top. We made it to the top. Here's our group at the top of Mission Peak. It was awesome. Think about it. Starting 2015 by going to the top. That's what I did on New Year's. Where were you? Come on. Think about 2015. Think about what, what it would mean for you to go to the top in 2015. I mean, to have a great accomplishment. I wonder what going to the top in 2015 looks like for you. What a great accomplishments are you hoping for? What aspirations are you dreaming about? What are your top goals for the new year. You see, this is a time of year where people, they set goals, they chart their course, they, they make resolutions on all the things that they believe will help them make progress, get ahead, become more successful. And can I tell you, as a pastor, over the years, I've heard all kinds of resolutions. Like, in the new year, I'm, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, I'm going to get in shape, I'm, I'm going to quit smoking, I'm going to save some more money, get out of debt. I'm, in the new year, I'm going to get married or buy a car or save for, for, a, for a house. I've heard all kinds of resolutions. People have ideas and dreams and goals. And I want you to think about, as you think about what going to the top in 2015 might look like for you, this morning I want to challenge you to think about that in the context of this story that a mom wrote. Let me share this story from a mom. It goes like this. She writes, last week I took my children to a restaurant and my six-year-old son asked if he could say grace. As we bowed our heads, he said in a very loud voice, loud enough for the whole restaurant to hear, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food. And God, I would thank you even more if mom gets us ice cream for dessert. (laughs) And then he ended his prayer by saying, and liberty and justice for all, amen. Well, along with the laughter from all the other customers, one nearby woman remarked, well, that's what's wrong with this country. Kids today don't even know how to pray. Asking God for ice cream, why I never. Well, hearing this, the mom writes, my son burst into tears and asked, mommy, did I do it wrong? Is God mad at me? As I held him and assured him that he had done a terrific job, and that God was certainly not mad at him, 
All of a sudden, an elderly gentleman approached our table. He winked at my son and said, young man, I happen to know God personally. And I know that God thought that was a really great prayer. Really? My son asked. Cross my heart, the man replied. And then in a theatrical whisper, he pointed to the woman whose remarks started this whole thing and said, too bad she never asked God for ice cream. A little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. (laughs) Then the mom said, naturally, at the end of the meal, I bought everyone ice cream. My son stared at his for a moment and then did something that I will remember for the rest of my life. He picked up his Sunday, and without a word, he walked over, and he placed it in front of the woman. And then with a big smile, he told her, here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. And my soul is good already. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? I shared that because that really applies to what I want to talk about today as we look at the power of hope. We have an outline for our message this morning. It's the light green sheet found in your program. Can I encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along? All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you. There's a place to take some notes if that is helpful for you. And I want to talk to you about the power of hope by looking to the words of Jesus found in Matthew 16, 26, where Jesus says this, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Would you underline that question? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, here at Crossroads, we think that the most important thing about you is your soul. Is your soul. In fact, when we talk about going to the top in 2015, we mean we want to do everything we can to make sure in 2015 that you pursue the things that will make for having a great soul. Now, we're not saying that all those other things are important. I'm saying go ahead and lose the weight. Get in shape, save some money, get a new car, go after that promotion. But ultimately, friends, listen to me. The most important thing about you is your soul and making sure that your soul is good. And to help us like, understand why it's so important to invest in our soul, I want you to look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13 on your outline. It says, these, it says this, three things will last forever. And what are they? Faith, hope, and love. See, those are the things that make for a great soul because they last for investing in things that will last forever. But here's the deal. You know, here at Crossroads, we talk about faith all the time. We have messages on faith. We do whole series on faith. We have studies and Bible classes on faith. We always talk about faith and love. It's our highest value. So we say we exist to lead seekers to what? Love Christ. Love, live a life of love. We're always talking about faith and love. Can I tell you, I've been pastor here for almost 20 years. And in that whole time, we have never done a series on hope. And so for the next seven weeks, we are going to focus in on hope. Because this is what I know. As your pastor Your soul will not be good if it doesn't have hope. And you will never get to the top in 2015 if you don't have hope. And you will never fulfill God's great dream for your life if you are not filled up with hope. Hope, my friends. 
Here's the deal. See, as a pastor, as I talk to people about what's going on in their lives, as I listen to what people are really dealing with, as you look at what's happening in our society, all the division and disillusionment and discouragement, as your pastor, I am convinced that now more than ever, people's greatest need is to have an infusion of hope in their life. Can I get an amen from someone who needs hope? Hope. So starting next week, we're kicking off this new series called Unleashing Hope. And here's what I know God is going to do over the next seven weeks. I hope that you'll make a pre-decision. This is so important to your soul and the future of your 2015. I hope you'll make a pre-decision that I will not miss a single week in this series because this is what will happen for you. God will fill your soul with hope. He'll flood the whole church with hope, and it will just spill out into our community and make a life-changing difference in the world that God has called us to love and care about. In fact, this series is so important that we sent out 50,000 invitations in the mail all over Fremont and Union City to come hear about what it means to live a life of hope. Curious, any of you already get this in the mail? Some of you get this? Friends, and can I tell you, this series, it's bigger than just you. In fact, can, can I tell you that you need this series, series, but there are people in your life right now today, spouses and children and friends and coworkers and neighbors who are getting up, going to work, going through their life every day, and they're discouraged and they're beat down and they need hope. If there was an ever a time for you to step up and pass on the invitation. You can make a life-changing difference by unleashing hope. I hope that you'll be here for this series, but I hope you'll do everything in your power to bring some people with you. Now, today we're talking about the power of hope. And before we can really uh, understand the power of hope, we have to have clarity on what hope really is. Because for most people, when you think of hope, what comes to mind? Like most people, hope for them is like wishful thinking. Like this year, I hope I get a new job. Or I hope the 49ers find a great coach, right? Or I hope the pastor's message is not too long. That's funny, right? That's, I heard that laugh. Come on. So, so hope for most people is just wishful thinking. But in the Bible, hope is more than just being optimistic and positive and wishful thinking. Do you know in your outline, I gave you three great definitions of hope because in the Bible, they use the word hope 174 times. In the Old Testament, they use the Hebrew word batah. In the, in the New Testament, they use the Greek word elpis. And the word hope in the Old and New Testament, it was always connected to living a life of trusting God. And it's not like you pursue hope, but it's as you put your faith and trust in God What God pours into your life is this incredible gift called hope. And I want you to give you some three definitions from the Bible. I hope you write these down. The first one is, what is hope? It's a confident anticipation that good things will come. Like, as you look forward to 2015, you have this confidence in your life that, hey, this is going to be a good year, and here's why. Do you know the most famous verse of hope in all the Old Testament, comes from Jeremiah 29, 11, that says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you what? Hope and a future. Would you underline that phrase? Plans to give you hope and a future. Do you know, biblical hope is rooted in this belief that God is good, he's faithful to his promises, he cares about his people, and he has good plans for you and for me. It's a confident anticipation. Secondly, would you write this down? It's a trusting endurance during the storms of life. And friends, in 2015, you're going to hit some storms. But look at what it says in Hebrews 6, 19. It says, we have this hope as in what? An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, underline that phrase, hope as an anchor for the soul. Because hope is what holds you steady in the storms of life. You have this anchor, so when the storms hit... So here's the deal. So many times in the Bible, hope is connected to trusting God. And when you trust that God's my Father, He loves me, He's working for my good, and He promised He would never leave and forsake me, so when the storms of life hit, here's what you do. Because you have this anchor for the soul, you hang on to hope, and you don't quit. Hope is a trusting endurance. And then number three, would you write this down? Hope is fuel for the soul. In the same way that gas is fuel for your car, hope is fuel for the soul. It's what keeps you filled up and rolling down the road of life. Romans chapter 5, verses 4 through 6 says this, And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, underline the phrase, God has poured out his love into our hearts. And here's how I want you to connect with this verse. It's the fuel that God pours into your heart. It's like he fills up your hope tanks with his love. And friends, when you're filled up with hope, you can go through a lot of miles in life, but when your hope tanks run low, and when that, you really want to pay attention to that little yellow light on your dash, right? Because when you run out of hope, oh my gosh. In fact, on your outline, write this one down. Write this down. Life without hope results in despair. And when you lose hope, here's what happens. You get depressed. You get discouraged. You get apathetic. Sociologists tell us that when, when people live without hope, here's what happens. Teens commit suicide. Spouses leave a marriage. Fathers walk out on their families. Students drop out of school. Followers give up on faith. And people miss out on God's great purpose for their lives without hope. And can I tell you, as your pastor, I get it. It kind of reminds me of the story of a pastor who lost hope, and he quit the ministry. Man, he, he, quit, he quit leading his church, and he went to work for a funeral home. People ask him, why in the world would you quit being a pastor to become a mortician? He said, man, being a pastor just sucked all the hope right out of me. He said, I tried to help Steve get off drugs, and three months later, he was back on drugs and just lost hope. And then I'd help Tom and Sue with their marriage, and three months later, they got divorced anyways. I just lost all hope. Man, but, but now, he said, as a mortician, man, I have so much hope. Because once I straighten someone out, they stay straightened out, you know. That's a, see, anybody can lose hope. And here's what pastors and all, all kinds of people can lose hope. But here's what happens to you when you lose your hope. 
Look at what it says in Psalm 143, verse 4. It says, I am losing all hope. I am what? Paralyzed with fear. Friends, when you lose hope, you get stuck. You give in to fear. You give up on God's dream for your life, and you never make it to the top. And friends, I I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to lose hope. Man, if you're here today and your hope tanks are running low, if you're here today and you're feeling like, man, there's no hope left for me, can I tell you loud and clear, God is not finished writing the great story of your life. God is not done working on you. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, there is hope left for you. There is hope for you. This series is designed to kick off the whole new year with a massive infusion of hope for the soul. It will flood your life, fill this church. It's going to spill out on the community, and it will make a difference, a life-changing difference in the world that God has called us to love and care about. Now, as your pastor, can I tell you, here's my hope-filled prayer for you. It's printed on the bottom of your outline. It comes from Romans 15, 13. This is what it says. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, would you underline God, the source of hope? Because I'd like us to go straight to the source right now, and I want us to pray together. And then after I pray, I want you to watch this clip from Spider-Man 2 that will give us some insight into the power of hope. So would you pray with me now? Would you just open, in a fresh way, would you open up your heart to God? And would you ask him to fill you with his hope? Father God, we need you. We're looking to you, the the one and only true source of hope, and we ask for your help. We ask you to touch our hearts, to help us draw near to you, to, to, to help us connect with you in such a way that you would flood our souls with life changing hope. And God, we realize that this hope is not just for us, but you want to make us into channels of hope to our families and friends and neighbors and co workers. I pray that you would use this series and use this message to bring us hope that can only come from you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Good morning, esteemed faculty and families of my fellow graduates. It's an honor to be standing up here today. I know we all think that we're immortal. We're supposed to feel that way. We're graduating. But like our brief four years in high school, what makes life valuable is that it doesn't last forever. What makes it precious is that it ends. And I know that now more than ever. And I say it today of all days to remind us that time is luck. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Make yours count for something. Fight for what matters to you. No matter what. Because even if we fall short, what better way is there to live? It's easy to feel hopeful on a beautiful day like today. But there will be dark days ahead of us too. 
There will be days where you feel all alone. And that's when hope is needed most. No matter how buried it gets, or how lost you feel, you must promise me that you will hold on to hope. Keep it alive. We have to be greater than what we suffer. My wish for you is to become hope. People need that. And even if we fail, what better way is there to live? As we look around here today at all of the people who helped make us who we are, I know it feels like we're saying goodbye, but we will carry a piece of each other into everything that we do next to remind us of who we are and of who we're meant to be. We've had a great four years with you. I'll miss you all very much. You know, I wanted you to see that clip from Spider-Man 2 because I believe that that speech begins to capture the incredible power of hope. And that's what I want to talk to you about now as you turn your outline over. I want you to understand that hope has the power to do four great things in your life. And the first one is this. You understand the power of hope, that hope, hope liberates. Hope liberates. It frees me from my past. You know, one of the top movies out right now is a movie called Unbroken. It's an amazing story of hope as it recounts the life of Louis Zamperini. And I don't know, have you seen the movie Unbroken? Anybody? Well, can I tell you, the movie's good. The book is even better. The book tells the story of this little troubled kid who found that his gift was running. And he became an Olympic athlete. But then during World War II, his plane went down and he spent over 40 days lost at sea. He was finally captured by the Japanese who put him in a prisoner of war camp and he was tortured mercilessly. Now, for some reason, he found a way to hang on to hope until the end of the war. And at the end of the war, he was liberated. The only problem was, though, it was that though he was free on the outside, on the inside, he still felt like a prisoner. I mean, he was filled with so much hate and hurt and suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, he turned to alcohol to try to numb his pain. And the alcohol was ruining his life, his marriage, his family, his future, until one day his wife insisted that he go to a Billy Graham crusade. Well, he didn't want to lose his marriage, so he went. The first night he listened to Billy Graham, nothing really happened. But then he went back the second night. And while he heard a message from Billy Graham, God just touched his heart in such a profound way. Like God reminded Louis Zamperini that he had made a promise while he was shipwrecked in that little life raft. Louis Zamperini promised God, he said, God, if you would get me out of this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And at that Billy Graham crusade, God reminded him of that promise. And it touched his heart in such a profound way that on that night, he asked Jesus Christ to come into his life to save him and forgive him and help him. And this is what God did. God gave him this new power to overcome his alcohol addiction He took away his anger and filled him with God's peace. And not only that, God gave him this power to even forgive the very ones who tortured him. 
I think there's a verse on your outline that captures exactly the hope that Louis Zamperini found where it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And friends, that's what happened to Louis Zamperini in Unbroken. Christ, his faith in Christ made him a new person from the inside out. And some of you may be thinking, well, hey, that's a nice story for him. But that's not my story. Some of you feel stuck in your past and you think, well, that's just who I am. I'm just an angry person or I'm just an addicted person or, or I come from this messed up family background. And so my life is always going to be messed up. Well, friends, do you, I want you to understand the power of hope. It can set you free. And if you, feel, if you feel like you can't break free, I want to tell you, it's not only Louis Zamperini's story, it's also my story. Man, I can relate to feeling stuck. Can I tell you that, that tomorrow is my wife Karen and I, January 5th, tomorrow is our 25th wedding anniversary. Friends, 25 years of married life together. But can I tell you that before we got married, one of my biggest fears was, man, I don't know if I, man, I come from a messed up, broken home. My father ran out on our family. You look at our family heritage, and we just have these generations of men who would turn into alcoholics, be abusive, be unfaithful, and just a track record of divorce after divorce. And I was thinking, why will I be any different? Do I even have a chance to live a different kind of life? But then when I put my faith in Christ, he made me a new person. He gave me a new destiny. And because of that, I will be leaving a different legacy because of the power of hope. Hope sets us free from the past. And I want to tell you, if God can do it for Louis Zamperini, God can do it for me. I want to tell you, you have hope. Give your life to Christ. And he'll set you free. He'll liberate you and make you a new person from the inside out. Hope liberates. Secondly, would you write this down? Hope motivates. Hope motivates. It it helps me bounce back, if you will. I'm curious, uh, how many of you sitting here today, do we have any David Letterman fans in the house? Few of us like David Letterman? You know, back in the day, David Letterman used to do this stick called, uh, Will It Float? And what he would do is he'd take this huge tank of water and then he'd hold up very uh, interesting objects and he'd ask the audience to vote. If I throw it in the water, will it float or will it sink? And then he'd vote, they'd drop it in. It was pretty funny. And we learned a lot of interesting things from that. Like, like he, one time he did an egg. Now, friends, let me ask you, if you drop an egg in a tank of water, will it float or will it sink? Okay. <laughs> You know too much, lady. <laughs> you know, just a regular, normal egg. Drop it in water. Guess what? It will float. It will float. Try it when you get home. Take an egg, drop it in water. It will float. Let me ask you this. A can of Spam. You drop a can of Spam in what? Will it, will it float or will it sink? It will sink, meaning don't eat Spam. It will like... <laughs> No, I'm just, okay, well, if you take a gallon of milk, pretty heavy, you drop a gallon of milk in a big tank of water, will it float or will it sink? It will float. So surprised by that. One of his best ones is during the holiday seasons, David Letterman did one of those holiday cheese logs. You know, a lot of fat and cheese. Will it float or will it sink? 
sank right to the bottom. Now you're going, why are you talking about this in church? Here's the deal. Friends, do you understand? Nobody, nobody does well in marriage, in relationships, at work, in life in general, unless they are buoyant. Because, friends, do you understand? Getting down in life, and it happens to everybody, but staying down is what will kill you. Can I tell you, can I promise you as your pastor, in 2015, you will have days where you get down. You're going to have some struggles, some heartbreak, some disappointment. It's just going to happen. In fact, maybe you're there right now. Can I tell you, if you stay down, if you stay down, your education doesn't matter. Your skill set doesn't matter. Your financial strength doesn't matter. If you get down and stay down, you will drown. You will drown. And this is where the power of hope comes in because here's the the amazing thing about hope. Do you understand, friends? Hope floats. Hope floats. It helps you bounce back. It makes you buoyant. I love what Psalm 42, 10 and 11 says. It just demonstrates the amazing bounce back power of hope. It says this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, underline that phrase, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Here's what the psalmist is saying. I may be down, but I'm not out. I may be going through a difficult time right now, but put my hope in God, because he's going to lift me up, and I will bounce back. You know, one time I, I heard the true story about a world-class marriage counselor. And this guy was an expert on helping couples who were like this, I mean, couples who were in serious trouble and this close to divorce. And he just had this track record of saving hundreds of marriages. Well, they interviewed this psychologist and they asked him, hey, what's your secret? What's your strategy to saving all these marriages? This is what he said. When a couple comes into me and they're in serious trouble, he said, I don't try to fix I don't try to fix any of their problems. Here's what I do is I just try to help them make a 5 to 10% improvement. So he said sometimes it's as simple as a husband like making the bed or cleaning the kitchen. I try to get them going one thing in the positive direction because once they do that, it begins to bring what? Hope. And once a couple begins to have hope again, anything is possible. That's the power of hope to motivate us to bounce back. In fact, I love this quote from Charles Allen on your outline. It says, when you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you're slamming the door in the face of God. Friends, do you know that God in the Bible has given us countless bounce back examples so that we can know we can bounce back too? Think of Joseph who bounced back from a messed up family and he became second in command in all of Egypt and saved the people of Israel. Think of King David who who bounced back from a major moral failure and later he was called a man after God's own heart. Think of the apostle Peter who denied Jesus three times and he bounced back to become the founder of the Christian church. Friends, listen to me. Each one of these guys, they not only got down in life, but they had plenty of reason to stay down. 
But friends, they bounce back because they had the power of hope alive in them. Do you understand? Hope liberates. Hope motivates. And number three, write this down. Hope initiates. Hope initiates. It sets me free to dream again. Can I tell you the true story of a hospital teacher? Her job was when kids got sick, she would go teach them at the hospital so they didn't fall behind in school. And so she went to one room, she's supposed to teach this little boy, but they didn't tell her that this boy had been severely burned. And she wasn't prepared for what she was going to see. She walked in and she was so distraught by the sight of this boy and all the pain she was in, she kind of stammered. And she told this little boy, she said, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. Well, when she, well, you know, through her, he was in pain. The lesson didn't even last more than 10 minutes. And she walked out just feeling like a total failure, like, oh my gosh, I didn't help this kid. I wasn't ready. And when she came back the next day, a nurse asked her, what did you do to that boy? Well, the teacher felt like, oh man, I must have really messed up. And And she started to apologize, and the nurse said, no, 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 you don't understand. We've been worried that this little boy wasn't going to make it. But ever since you went in there yesterday, his whole attitude changed. Now he's fighting back. Now he's responding to treatment. It's as if he decided he wanted to live. Well, two weeks later, the little boy explained that he had given up all hope until the teacher arrived. He said everything changed when he realized, he said it this way, They wouldn't send a teacher to my room to teach me about nouns and adverbs if they thought I was going to die. He said, all of a sudden, I had hope that I was going to live, and I began to dream about what my life could be. The power of hope to initiate dreaming about life again. I love what Lamentations 3, 20 through 23 says on your outline. It's perhaps the most authentic verse on hope in all the Bible, it says this. And think of it in context of this story I just shared with you. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day morning. Now, friends, there are two key phrases that I want you to capture here. Would you underline, yet I still dare to hope, and then his mercies begin afresh each morning. See, what I love about this verse, it says, man, if you've been through some hard times, if, you're, if you've gone through some grieving, painful, difficult times, you don't have to pretend that never happened. You don't have to just, you know, paste on a plastic smile and act like that wasn't real. You can be very real about what's going on in your present, even when it's hard, but you can dare to hope. And here's why. God's love is real. His mercies never stop. And he has faithfulness. Like each new day is a new beginning. That's the power of hope, to initiate dreaming again. In fact, you think of the greatest dreamer you have ever heard of. You know who that is? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? Man, our, our nation and our world is different because Dr. Martin Luther King said these words, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation 
or they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. See, the power of hope to initiate. In the present reality, things weren't good. Things weren't right. But he dreamed forward, hey, that one day, I dream of living in a world where people will be treated with love and respect and the dignity and equality that everyone deserves. Dr. Martin Luther King is actually reverend. He was a pastor because he knew God's love and mercy and faithfulness. He dreamed of better days. He dreamed of a better world. Now, as you sit here this morning, I want to ask you, what are you dreaming of? What is your great dream of how God can use your life for good in the world? You know, I'll never forget when God gave my wife Karen and I a dream for starting this church 19 and a half years ago. We dreamed of doing a church for those who who don't do church. We dreamed of building a church where lives would be changed in such a profound way. That would people, the love of God would change them so profoundly that they would orient their whole life, not just Sunday morning, but every day of their life they would get out of bed saying, I want to live for the love of God and for helping other people. And friends, that dream is coming true. And now a huge part of that dream is now we're dreaming, just like in 2015, in the very near future, we're dreaming about breaking new ground on that front lawn for our new worship sanctuary and i think proverbs thirteen twelve captures the heart of hope when it says this on your outline hope deferred makes the heart sick like when god gives you a dream and you're fighting for it and you have a setback what happens it breaks your heart but capture this is so powerful hope deferred makes the heart sick but when dreams come true at last there is what life and joy Friends, can I tell you, when God gives you a dream, he fills you with hope. Man, go after that dream with all your heart. You, keep, you hang on to hope. You keep fighting for it. You will have the ups and downs. But if you hang on to that dream and hang on to your hope, one day there will be lots of life and lots of joy. Now, the fourth thing, I just want to wrap up with this. I think it's the most important power of hope, and that's hope activates Hope activates. It unleashes God's love. I love this quote from Ray Johnson. It says, hope is the fuel that makes the world a better place. I love how 1 Peter 1.13 calls us to activate our hope. It says, so prepare your minds for what? For action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Now, underline this, this phrase, Prepare your minds for action. Meaning once you have hope and God floods your soul with hope, it's bigger than just you. You're to take that hope and you're to share it with the world. You're to pass it on. It's like, you know, when you experience something really good. Like when you find a really good restaurant, you want to tell people about it. Man, when you read a really great book, you want to say, oh, you got to read this book. It's really good. Sometimes I'm accused of trying to be a matchmaker because when you have a really good marriage, you want everyone to experience the joy and love that comes from a great relationship. And friends, can I tell you, when you're part of a really good church, you want to share it. You want to reach it. That's why we're doing these invitations. 
We want everybody to know about the hope that we can find in Jesus Christ. We want to share it. We want to activate it. We want to pass it on. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this mail out. That's why we're reaching out. That's why we're planning to build this new worship center on the front lawn. And just on a side note, I wanted to, uh, wanted to take just a minute to answer a key question that's been asked kind of throughout this whole building prog- process. We've been working on building this new worship center for about five years. And along the way, some, some very compassionate, big-hearted people asked a key question that goes like this. How can we spend all this money on a new building when there's so many needy, struggling, struggling people in our community? And guys, I think that's a great question. And I think that's worthy of a great answer. It wasn't asked with malice. It was asked with compassion and concern for those hurting our community. But let me tell you the answer to that question. Do you know, we are building this new worship center so that we can bring hope to more people in our community, in our city. And let me make it clear that by building this building, instead of taking money away from helping people in need, we're actually multiplying generosity so that we can touch more people with the real hope that comes from Christ. Let me explain it this way. When we are a church of 250 people, we still tried to do good. We still tried to help people in need, but we were limited in our impact because of our size. And we said, man, God still wants us to reach people with hope, still wants us to reach our community. So we grew from 250 to 350 to 500 to to 750, and now we're pushing 800. Because we've continued to grow, we've been able to multiply generosity and multiply hope. And let me just give you an example. Do you know between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day right out of this church, we've given out more than 400 turkey dinners, We've given over 60 gifts of hope to families in the community. One life group sent a crate all the way to the Fiji Islands filled with clothes and shoes and sandals for children in need. One life group adopted a single mom and all her children to give them a wonderful Christmas. And you guys together, we brought more than 252 coats to help refugees get through a cold winter. And because all of us gave to the birthday present to Jesus, we've been able to help close to 50 families in a significant way get through the holiday season. Do you see, because we've had more people, that means we've had more resources. That means we could touch more lives with the message of hope. And some of you think, well, you spent all this money on the building. What about, can I tell you, every year, and even the years we're giving to this building, we have never decreased the amount we've given to help those in need. Every year, the, the, the support and help we give people, it's grown every year. And then one last thing. Can I bottom line it for you? The whole reason that we're building this new worship center is we are called by God as the church to bring hope to the... Where are people going to go to find hope? To the bars? To the malls? Where do you bring people to find You bring them to church. And we're building this, this building. We're not building for us, right? We're building this for our community. We're going to become a hope station in all the community, bringing the life-changing love of Christ. And friends, I don't know about you, but I'm all in. 
And I hope you are too. In fact, the last verse on your outline, 1 Timothy 4.10 says this. This is why we work hard. Can I say, and pray hard, and give hard, and serve hard, and minister hard. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is where? In the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. I want to end my message by now, like passing the baton to you. I want to give you a personal and powerful way to declare where your hope comes from. Friends, because we know, here's what the Bible says. Our hope comes from Christ, the one who was born in a manger, who lived a perfect sinless life to show us how to live life in relationship with God, who at the perfect time died on the cross for your sins and mine, and then after he died, he resurrected from the dead to prove that he has the power to raise you up when you die and give you eternal life. Jesus Christ is our hope in this life and in the next. And we're going to end our service by remembering that by taking communion together. Do you know when you take communion, you're taking the element of the bread to remember that his body was broken for you. When you take the cup of juice, you're declaring, you're remembering that Jesus shed his blood so that you can be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Pastor Fred to come out And he's going to play a song called The Power of the Cross because that's where the power of hope comes from, the cross of Christ. While he plays that song, we're going to invite you to come forward if you want to make that declaration and nail it down and say, I want the world to know that I belong to Jesus and my hope is in what Christ did for me on the cross. We invite you to come forward and take the elements and then return to your seat and hang on to them And then after everyone's had a chance to get the elements, then we'll take communion together. Now, if you're not there yet, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, may this act of worship be a witness to you that all around you, people from all backgrounds, races, nationalities, financial situations, people from all backgrounds have put their faith and trust in Christ. And may that be a witness that you can too. Where do we find our hope? Well, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. And when he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after the supper. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen.